Welcome to another edition of the Dementia Care Partner Talk Show. Now, here's dementia care expert Tifa Snow and your host, Greg Phelps. Hello and welcome to the Dementia Care Partners podcast series. My name is Greg Phelps and joining me as usual is Tipa Snow. Tipa, our topic today is engagement and I have to ask, are the terms engagement and activities interchangeable? Ah, engagement means that the person is actively participating in something. Activities are something I might offer. So activities are stuff you do and engagement is what the person chooses to do with the stuff. So activities, Tipa grabs the banjo and sings a few songs and uh, engagement. Maybe you're going to try and let me hold the banjo and see what I can do. Or Or you come up with a song or you're the one that actually says, oh, I know how to play a banjo. I hand it over. Or you're the one who I hate that. Um, Do you have any other any other music we could listen to? It's like, okay, put the banjo down. Um, Yeah. So engagement is what we do, you do with the thing I provide, I guess, is is what I would say. Now, um, why? Here's a really interesting question. Most of our podcasts are based on things, questions that people have sent to us. Uh, And this part sort of had me scratching my head a little bit. Do engagement activities have to be meaningful? Ah, So it turns out that human beings are built in a way that um, there are about four categories of things that we have to do every day for a healthy life or a well-formed life. One is that we want to do things every day that give us a sense of value and purpose, because it turns out humans are purpose-driven. We want to think that our being in this world, our being on this earth has some purpose or value to it. So the part of our brain that's really invested in that could be uh, the prefrontal cortex, or it could be um, a core part of us where we feel like we're needed. I feel like I have a value because I feel like I'm needed in some way. So often parents, you know, by taking care of my kids, I feel like I have value by fixing a meal, by driving them to something. Um, Those activities give me a sense of value and purpose. Um, But human beings also seek to have pleasure in their lives. If there's not something that makes you feel good, that gets your hormones and endorphins and dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin going, going, um, you feel less, you start to sort of fail to thrive. And so I've got to get something I like I like every day. I've got to do something I like. I got to see something I like. I got to smell, taste something I like every day um, to survive or to thrive for sure. Um, And then there are things that we do not because they have any purpose, but because they actually, they're good for my body. They're good for my brain. Um, They tend to be called things like self-care. Like I have to go to the bathroom. I have to eliminate. Uh, I have to eat. I have to drink. I have to nourish and hydrate or I'll die. Uh, I've got to do things for my body or for my brain. And then one other thing we've got to do is rest and restore ourselves. And we've got to, we've got to take a break. Uh, we are not meant to be 24-7 awake and going. And it's one of the challenges of some dementias is that it's hard for the person to turn off or turn on their system enough to get active and in the world or to chill it down. So You know, we're built in such a way and dementia robs our brains of the ability to do that independently. Why, um, why do activities make us feel good? You, you alluded to that a little bit, but is it because, well, maybe COVID has brought this into a clearer focus. 
we need to feel something like we're contributing. Like it, it's a sense of we experience it, even though because we can't travel and we can't go to our favorite store and we can't go to a restaurant. I, I somehow wonder how it is for people who are locked in facilities. Yeah. And so this idea of being restricted in what I'm able to do or where I'm able to go or who I'm able to be with, because each human, it turns out, is a little bit unique. Like some of us really love to connect to other people and we don't care who it is just as long as we can get connected. Whereas others among us are more interested in being in control of situations. We like to do things and we like to be with people, but we like to control what we're doing with people. And so some of us are more leaders or people who want to be in control or in charge and some are more followers. So we call it in, in a pack, I, I use the word initiators versus participators. Initiators are people who want to start something or be in control of it. And participators are people like go along. And different people, it turns out, have different preferences, different likes, different needs. And so they feel pleasure when I say, hey, Greg, listen, would you do me a big favor? I could use your help. So and as a man, I'm probably going to say yes, because we fall for that all the time. We fall for that all the time. And I say, hey, here's what I'm, I, if, could you help me move this table over? And without thinking about it, yeah, sure. I mean, that idea of being active, but I was the one that came up with what it was because one of the challenges of dementia is initiation. So if you're just standing and, and you may even say the words, what do I do now? Or you're just sitting and you're not doing much, then me initiating, hey, Greg, could you do me a big favor? Oh, hey, Greg, would you come look at something for me? Okay, you've, right. you've, you've sort of jumped ahead to part of my next question. Is there a difference between men and women when uh, you're doing this? Because, you know, I just jokingly said, yeah, guys like to help. Yeah. Well, it turns out um, right now in our current cohort, I don't know whether it's going to change over the next generation, but as a rule, men were more likely to be on teams, sports teams, those kind of things. And so they have this history of joining groups. It turns out that that's not, you know, women do it, but men do it and women do it for different reasons. Women often join to socialize. Men join often to go do something. So to play sports or to watch sports or to participate in some way, to be a woodworking group or to, you know, whatever it is. So guys as a rule join either for business or for pleasure, but they join those groups. Women often join flower clubs or, and again, this is old school, but at the same time, Women sometimes join groupings for different reasons. And then some gen, some groups, both of us join for different reasons, like faith communities. If we're both members in faith communities, we still often see this variation in what men do and what women do in those faith communities. So, you know, we've got to look at our cohort, which means an aged group, like a group of similar age, aging through the same. So what we have in males, at least in the US and I think in Canada, primarily during World War II and, and the Korean, I don't know, were you guys involved in the Korean conflict at all? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So how many women went to Korea and how many men went to Korea? Ooh, couldn't pull up the exact figures, but a lot more men and the women went as as nurses or support staff. Yeah, healthcare, yeah. like the mass unit kind of idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what we have is that men were in the service in a certain way and women were in the service in a different way. Now, currently that's changing. 
you know, that's a very different mix where we have the men and the women. So I don't know what it's going to look like in the next generation. But if I were to say, hey, Greg, so we were going to we were going to get together and um, I wanted to ask folks about their service. If I got people together about their service, uh, I'd be looking at more men than women. And where would you want to get together? What would be the environment that you might want to get together in? Probably uh, a smaller room and just sit around and talk and, you know. Yeah. Would you want some like pretzels and non-alcoholic beer or maybe alcoholic beer or coffee with, you know, I mean, would you be looking for like getting together and maybe I put some, I have some slides of, you know, different things so you could look at something. Um, and dare, I, dare I say a public facility, you know, that's. Public facility. You're thinking of like a pub or a bar or something yeah, like yeah, that. That's... Yeah, where we might get together or maybe a veterans club or something mm -hmm. like that where we have some visuals up. Uh, how many women are going to be hanging around? Maybe the barmaid, eh? Not a bunch, you know, Not per much. capita. Yeah, now tell me where in a residential program, where do guys get that opportunity? Hmm. My mind is just sort of going back through all of the ones I've been in, and I'm not really coming up with a bunch. There was one that had a bar set up for the guys. Hmm. One. Yeah, a dartboard. I think, you know, like, so really thinking outside of our boxes, where if it's a healthcare facility, it's like, yeah, but people are living there, you know? So if people are living there, how do we create spaces that give a sense of different locations, even if the people aren't leaving the building? But if I go down the hall to the pub or the bar or the, you know, the games room, maybe, you know, it's a guy only zone. I mean, and I've often advocated for a gender only space where we have the beauty parlor over here and the barbershop over there, because it mimics what people are used to. And I'm wondering if, if you went to the barbershop, Greg, would you be more used to having somebody mess with your hair and trim your beard and maybe do a little to your face as opposed to... I come in your house and in your bedroom and start messing with you. Mm, yeah, a lot more comfortable. And, and there's also something to be said for guys are sort of a little weirded out when you walk in and there's a bunch of sinks and the hair dryers and, you know, it's just, yeah, you know, just like this, right, this, eh? this is women's stuff. I, I just want my damn haircut. You just want your haircut. So we have it set up more like a guy bar, barbershop than we do the ladies, the ladies beauty salon. Um, and maybe we have a place where we could do footwork, but that's not going to be the, you know, your first thought is like, yeah, that's not where I want to be. So we figure out, you know, maybe it's a medical place or not a spa, you know, kind of thing. And again, will it change with the next generation? I think it will, but currently the group we currently have going, I think we need to think about, are there areas where there are kitchens? Are there areas where there are workshops? Is there a garage? Is there a place to mess with the cars? Is there a place where you can mess with tools? I think we don't really consider what people's brains seek that give them a sense of value and purpose, that give them a sense of pleasure, that are good for their bodies and their brains because they're doing something that they enjoy doing and they'll do it longer. Um, they'll do it harder. You know, even if I come up with a crossword puzzle, maybe for guys we do tools and for women we do flowers, I don't know but we need to look outside of where we're comfortable to start really recognizing who's the person I'm serving. So just out of curiosity and, and, and fairly quickly, have you seen bad ideas for activities? I, I recall one and took part in it and I feel so bad about it now. And that was bouncing the ball, the inflatable ball mm. around a big table full of, uh, mm -hmm. in this case, it was all women. 
And I remember this one woman, an absolute look of terror as this ball suddenly bounced in front of her and hit her in the face. Yeah, because we were having fun. It's like, oh my heavens. So we think, oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a beach ball. How hard could it be? You know, it's fine. Well, the problem is with the vision changes going on for people, that depth perception and the ability to judge trajectory and travel, all of a sudden that thing, and she didn't even have protective to get her hands up and pause it. And so when people grab the ball and throw it hard back across the the circle, I'm like, yeah, give them the message. Uh, I don't like this. And people say they get real excited. It's like, yeah, something keeps coming at you. You'll get real excited. And don't throw it so hard, John. It's like, mm, John's telling you something, guys. I think I, I can't personally imagine something more horrendous than being trapped in a wheelchair in a circle with a bunch of people throwing balls at me. Um, maybe we should put a target in the center, like a basket in the center, and we aim to the basket instead of, and hand somebody a ball and say, here, see what you can do with it. Or if I'm interested, let them throw it to me just to see what happens. But I don't know. When was the last time, Greg, you just went and threw a beach ball back and forth with somebody for 45 minutes? Well, I, I looked down on a, an outdoor restaurant here. I was thinking of trying that a little bit later on today. I'll just spike a ball into the middle of it and see who wants to play. I think you might want to get them a little more drunk before you do that. So <laughs> their tolerance of your interference with their meal might be better, better appreciated with a little alcohol, perhaps. Now, Positive Approach to Care offers a, a course called uh, Engagement, mm -hmm. and the person can get certified. Is this something that the average person could use, or is this something more directed for pe persons working in facilities or doing this for a living? Who, 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 who would benefit from this? Yeah, so our engagement certification is meant for an engagement leader, someone who's responsible typically for putting together programs that are going to support staff and families and the person living with dementia and residents who are living in a community or a home care agency where we're trying to match a helper with a person living with dementia, with a family, with some opportunities. It's meant for people who are trying to guide the engagement opportunities of not just the person living with dementia, but those who are in the environment who also need to figure out how they're going to put their day together so that everybody's got some satisfaction. Uh, our master classes in engagement, those ones are more designed for an individual to get better at understanding different different engagement opportunities, but not really in mastering the leadership of everything. There's one part of the course that still to this day, I can instantly recall it. And that's when you told us to draw a clock. Mm. Okay, draw two clocks, you said. Yeah. There was a rabbit hole for me. <laughs> so what I ask people to do is draw a clock and then tell me how you spend your time. How much of it do you spend on feeling valued and productive? How much of your day, 24 hours in that clock, uh, big circle, 24 hours, how much do you spend uh, doing things that give you pleasure and, and joy? How much do you spend time taking care of yourself and, and doing things that are good for your body or your brain? And how much do you spend rest and restoring yourself, like sleeping and meditating and praying? And um, and then the clock next year's was put together the clock of somebody living with dementia and add a fifth category, which is time spent waiting for you. 
And unfortunately, in our residential programs, all too often what we find is way too much time spent waiting uh, and way too much energy spent on, they're not actually self-care activities, they're care for the body, for the human being, but not necessarily actively self-care activities, they're care for someone and way too little on people feeling productive and valued and having pleasure and joy in the moment. And at the same time, really getting good rest and restoration versus just spending time waiting. I told you, it's in my brain. Yeah. Greg, sit down and wait for your breakfast. Greg, sit down, wait yeah, for your lunch. On. Greg, now get up, because I'm going to go change you. <laughs> <laughs> Deepa, it's, uh, it's one of those really interesting uh, subjects. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe some people will be encouraged to, to sign up. And I, I hope others will sort of explore, if you've got a loved one in care, maybe you can explore and ask, you know, well, what sort of things is my person doing? You know, I think we have a right as consumers to raise our expectations. We should, we should see a balance in people's day. We should want care plans that take this into account. If people can't tell me what my mom's doing that gives her a sense of of pleasure. Uh, what is she finding pleasurable these days? What is she doing? What are you providing? What kind of opportunities are out there? And what is she doing that gives her a sense of value and purpose? Good and questions to ask. The body? Yeah. Tipa, we could go on and on as we normally do, but yeah. uh, we've run out of time. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking and thanks for giving me the opportunity to engage. You've been listening to the Dementia Care Partners podcast series sponsored by Positive Approach to Care as a free broadcast available to anyone living with dementia, supporting someone living with dementia, or anyone interested in learning about the world of dementia. For more information about other free resources provided by PAC, please visit our resource page, www.tipasnow.com.